Scripture reading, our scripture reading again today is taken from Hebrews 7, verses 11 to 28. I'll be reading from the ESV version. For those of you that are online, I'll give you a few moments, but it's beyond the projection also. Okay, let's begin. Now, if perfection has been attainable through the Levitical priesthood, for under it the people received the law, what further need would there have been for another priest to arise after the order of Melchizedek, rather than one named after the order of Aaron? For when there is a change in the priesthood, there is necessarily a change in the law as well. For the one of whom these things are spoken belong to another tribe, for which no one has ever served at the altar. For it is evident that our Lord was descended from Judah, and in connection with that, tribes, Moses said nothing about priests. This becomes even more evident when another priest arises in the likeness of Melchizedek, who has become a priest, not on the basis of a legal requirement concerning bodily descendant, but by the power of an indestructible life. For it was witnessed of him, you are a priest forever after the order of Melchizedek. For on, on the one hand, a former command is set aside because of its weakness and uselessness, for the law made nothing perfect. But on the other hand, a better hope is introduced through which we draw near to God. And it was not without an oath, for those who formerly became priests were made such without an oath. But this one was made a priest with an oath by the one who said to him, the Lord has sworn and will not change his mind, and you are a priest forever. This makes Jesus the guarantor of a better covenant. This former priests were many in number because they were prevented by death from continuing in office. But he holds this priesthood permanently because he continues forever. Consequently, he is able to save to the utmost those who draw near to God through him, since he always lives to make intercession for him. For it was indeed fitting that we should have such a high priest, holy and innocent, unstained, separate from sinners, exalted above the heavens. He has no need, like those of high priests, to offer sacrifice daily, first for his own sins and then for those of people, since he is once for all been offered up for us himself. For the law appoints men in their weakness as high priests, but the word of the oath, which came later than the law, appoints a son who has been made perfect forever. May God bless the reading of his word. We'll now turn our time over to Minister Pat as he leads us in, the, in our sermon this morning. challenges of masks. 
Might need to take this off. Good morning, everyone. Trust. How many of us find it easy to trust in God? Trust seems easier when it is something you believe that He can do. Some of us are content to leave the ordinary matters of life in God's hands, such as scoring well on a test, such as landing a good-paying job, or leading your team to complete a project. But when it comes to trusting God for something we consider impossible, we have less faith that He will deliver. And what is true for what we hope for that is unseen is just as true as when we are asked to let go of something that we have come to believe and live by. This was the formidable task the author of Hebrews faced. God called him to lead his Jewish Christian readers through a paradigm shift out with the old covenant, law, and out with the old covenant law and the Levitical priesthood, and in with a far better new covenant law and priesthood. To do this, the author made several outlandish remarks about the law, claiming it was weak and useless, asserting it made no one perfect, verses 18 and 19. Because of these deficits, the law and its priesthood must be set aside between Judaism and Christianity. The author continues pressing at that fault line. You see, there is this distinct divide between Judaism and Christianity. He aimed for a clean break so that his readers would not fall back into their old Jewish ways. In letting go of the old, the Hebrews endured much persecution. For their sacrifice, they entered into a better hope that we have in Jesus Christ to draw near to God. But for the Jew, these were bold and incredible statements. The Levitical system was designed to keep the worshipers at a distance from God, lest he destroy them. Only the high priest could enter the Holy of Holies, and that one time a year, on the Day of Atonement. So a call to draw near to God through Jesus was a, both a bewildering and a dangerous idea. In today's passage, the author proposes, the priesthood of Jesus is better than the Levitical priesthood because it provides the way to draw near to God. For the next several minutes, please follow along with me as I trace the author's concise argument. You see, today's message falls into two parts. The first part, verses 11 to 14, the author argues for the inferiority of the Levitical priesthood, which among other reasons is unable to make anyone perfect. Then in the second part, verses 8, 15 to 28, the author argues for the superiority 
of the priesthood of Jesus according to the order of Melchizedek. By this better priesthood, the people of God could finally draw near to God. The author wants to see the supremacy of Jesus as our high priest. He didn't want his readers to be driven back into Judaism because of persecution. So he demonstrates how Jesus is better than the priesthood of the Levitical priesthood, the Levitical priesthood built upon the old law and its system of sacrifice. While few of us are at risk of falling back into Judaism, many of us are just one crisis or perhaps one disappointment from losing faith in Christ. While a lot of us readily turn elsewhere for security, pursuing fortune, influence, prestige. Others of us seek relief from hurt, turning to secular psychologists and therapists, coping through addictions, or living in denial. What truly helps us is to see Jesus as better than anything or anyone. As our high priest, Jesus is able to save to the uttermost all who draw near to God through him. The author emphasized throughout the epistle to the Hebrews the concept of perfection or being made perfect. Here is how a few Bible scholars define it. Leon Morris says, quote, It does not mean being without any flaw or defect, but rather it refers to the condition in which men and women become acceptable to God. Gerhard Delling writes, To be made perfect is, quote, to put someone in the position in which he can come or stand before God, end quote. The author of Hebrews repeatedly states that the law was unable to accomplish this. We, we read it in our passage today in verse 11 and 19, and again, we'll encounter it in chapter 9 and 10. The author sets his argument of the inferiority of the law and the Levitical priesthood on three points, and here they are briefly. The Jews regarded the law of Moses and the system of sacrifices it prescribed as sacred and inviolable. The priesthood was the basis of the law in that the sacrificial system, which was at the heart of the law, could not function apart from the priests. That's quite a mouthful. Let me repeat that one time. The priesthood was the basis of the law in that the sacrificial system, which was at the heart of the law, could not function apart from its priests. A skeptic might object, saying, the law of Moses and the Levitical priesthood would have been the standard already for 500 years since Melchizedek met Abraham. So how can that you say that the better is the older, right? Would you not say that the newer is better? How is a priesthood in the order of Melchizedek better than the Levitical priesthood? To answer this objection, the author cites Psalm 110, verse 4, which David wrote at the height of the Levitical priesthood. In that psalm, which is clearly messianic in nature, David predicts that the one who will sit at God's right hand as king will also be priest 
according to the order of Melchizedek. So the author's argument is, if the Levitical priesthood and the law were good enough, why did God predict this new priest according to the order of Melchizedek? In verse 12 of Hebrews, here in chapter 7, the author states plainly that a change in the priesthood demands a corresponding change in the law. Again, to understand this, we must remember that a conscientious Jew would have found this shift in paradigm offensive. The law of Moses was the foundation of Jewish religion and culture. How is it possible to propose changing the law? But the author is arguing that the law and its corresponding priesthood were so closely coupled that a change of the law necessitates that change in priesthood. In verses 13 to 14, the author makes two important observations. First, that Jesus was from the tribe of Judah rather than the tribe of Levi. Until Jesus emerged out of the order of Melchizedek, all authentic priests came from the tribe of Levi. Second observation, the author shows us with the word and the title, Our Lord. It's used just once more in Hebrews. We find that in chapter 13. By these remarks, we see that Jesus is not only unlike any human priest, but he writes here, Our Lord, incarnate, God with us. This is a profound and significant messianic reference that distinguishes Jesus. Jesus is the only priest who represents the order of Melchizedek. So in verses 11 to 14, the first part of today's passage, we see that the law and the Levitical priesthood were inferior because they could not make anyone perfect. The Hebrews must not go backwards. The way forward is to see that the Levitical priesthood was good. The priesthood of Jesus is better in every way. This is part two of today's message. From the tribe of Levi, Aaron and his sons were bestowed special status as high priests. They alone were given responsibility to serve in the holy place and in the most holy place of the tabernacle and the temple. However exclusive or indispensable their function, what they did stemmed from their identity as attested through scripture. Nature determines action and not the other way around. The priestly identity was found not on function, but in essence. The qualifications of, for being a Levitical priest were external and circumstantial. The Levitical priesthood was based upon two things. First, a family lineage and being free of any bodily defects. You can find that in Leviticus chapter 21. Even the ordination of priests point to the external, not just by what the, priestly, what the priests wore as garments, but by the rites of purification which they went through with water and with the offerings. But Jesus is revealed to be a priest like Melchizedek based on what is internal. In particular, there in verse 16, the power of an indestructible life. 
The mysterious silence of the Genesis record seemed to indicate that Melchizedek had neither beginning of days nor end of life. Melchizedek, as a type, as Pastor Jeff uh, told us last week, served to foreshadow the anti-type, which, who is Jesus, who is truly eternal. In Advent, we celebrate Jesus' first coming, who was none other Christ born to die for our sins. Yet, as we know, the grave could not hold him. He is risen and sits at the right hand of God. And he serves now as our priest forever. He holds that office forever. Forever he is making access to God through himself. Now, in Romans, there is this word, this Greek translated as set aside in verse 18. And we're going to be looking at Romans chapter 7 here um, just briefly. Because in verse 18 of, of Hebrews 7, we have this word set aside. It's a legal term that means to void or nullify. But what is being nullified? Join me in taking a closer look. The words weakness and uselessness is not deprecating the law, okay? Not the law itself. Apostle Paul testifies to us here in Romans 7, the law is holy and the commandment is holy and righteous and good. The problem, you see, as Paul explains to us, was in the weakness of these bodies that are unable to keep the law. The law works to expose the utter sinfulness of our hearts, verse 13. And back to Hebrews, the law does not work to draw us nearer to God. This was the intent of the author when he wrote, for the law made nothing perfect, the first part of verse 19. So sacrifices according to the law could never purify and cleanse the sinner's heart or completely separate sin from sinner. In reality, worship under the old covenant law and Levitical priesthood served an astonishing purpose. Rather than drawing the worshiper closer to God, the whole apparatus meant to keep the worshiper at a safe distance from God. This leads us to the author's next point at the second part of verse 19. In this verse, the translation, better hope, refers to Jesus, who is the guarantor of a better covenant. In verse 22, and just and in coming weeks, we will hear more about this new covenant, chapter 8, and a few weeks after that, we will get another installation of drawing near, and that will come in chapter 10. At this point in our sermon series, you're all very familiar that the author of Hebrews loves the word better. And for those of us who are counting, uh, Hebrews, we will find 12 of the total 18 occurrences of this Greek word in the New Testament. The latest in our sermon series is here in verse 19. We have a better hope through which we draw near to God. Now, why, if we have something better, would we fall back into something worse? This was the issue that the author of Hebrews was trying to take up with his Jewish readers. Many were reminiscing 
of the former days and the former ways, all while forgetting that what they had now in Christ was far better than anything they had under Judaism. The very day that the Old Testament saints looked forward to is now at hand. There is now complete forgiveness of sins through Christ's better sacrifice. No longer must we stand outside in the courtyard while the high priest enters the Holy of Holies to offer sacrifice. We now have a high priest who has stepped through the veil, literally tearing it open when he was finished at the cross. And so now we are welcome to draw near to the very throne of God to receive grace and aid in time of need. So far we've seen that the priesthood of Christ is better because of his life and because of a better hope. We now move on to a third reason in verse 20. Concerning the Levitical priests, God made no oath that the, that the priest would serve forever. But concerning the priesthood of his son, the author in verse 21 quotes David from Psalm 110, which we just looked at a moment ago. We encountered a similar thing two weeks ago in Hebrews chapter 6, verse 13, regarding God's promise to Abraham. God made at that time what is known as a self-maledictory oath. It's like what we do when we say, I cross my heart and hope to die. We mean it, right? And God swore that he would keep his covenant promise on pain of death, which we know was honored by the sacrifice of his son. Now, of course, we know that God's word alone is sufficient to keep his promise, but God's oath adds significance to the meaning of his promise. Three times, God swears an oath in the letter to the Hebrews, here in chapter 7, and back in chapter 6 to Abraham, and in chapter 3 to the Israelites. Each oath is a reminder of God's unchangeable purpose. And so it allows us to look forward to its fulfillment with bold confidence and trust. And this is what me it means that Jesus is a priest forever. And to pile on, when we look at verse 22, this makes Jesus the guarantor of a better covenant. In Greek, as it is in English, we vary our syntax for emphasis. Now, how many of us enjoyed watching Star Wars and that lovable character Yoda, right? We're amused when he says, named must be your fear, before banish it you can. But in the Greek of verse 22, the syntax is shifted around, put, placing Christ's name near the end for emphasis. And what is in the name? Apostle Paul tells us from Philippians 2.10 that at the name of Jesus, every knee should bow in heaven and on earth and under the earth. Now, when you juxtapose the power of Jesus' name with the singular occurrence of guarantee that we find here in Hebrews, you get a crystal clear picture. Jesus himself is the guarantor of this better covenant. In verses 23 to 24, the author again contrasts between the Levitical priesthood 
and the priesthood of Jesus. This is the author's fourth reason that the priesthood of Christ is better. Biblical Israel had many high priests. They were all from the tribe of Levi. The Jewish historian Josephus records 83 high priests from the time of Aaron all the way to the destruction of the temple in AD 70. It's a lot of high priests because when one died, they were replaced. They were mortal. But Jesus holds his priesthood permanently because he continues forever, verse 24. Our context, in our context, your pastors lead and serve you for a period of time. But Jesus is always in heaven for you. Of course, your pastors are nothing like the priests of the Old Testament, but perhaps not in the way that you might be imagining. We do not represent you to God, nor do we mediate grace to you. However, through the perpetual ministry of Christ, you have direct access to God. Therefore, always look to Christ because he alone holds the priesthood permanently. Now, added to the benefit of permanence is the superiority of a perpetual petition. Verse 25, Jesus is able to save to the uttermost those who draw near to, through him, to God through him, since he always lives to make intercession for them. What an amazing verse. If you are ever tired of quoting from John chapter 3, verse 16, you can always quote from Hebrews 7, 25. It is the quintessential gospel. In this ver if this verse were a gold mine, it would take a lifetime to, to take it out. And so, before moving on, I'm going to offer you three gold nuggets. First, Jesus is able to save, as we read here. Salvation is not conditional on our works, as some Christians believe. For the wages of sin is death, but the free gift of God is eternal life through Jesus Christ our Lord. Romans 6, 23. The New Testament authors were always and carefully presenting salvation in terms of grace and gift. Second, Jesus is able to save to the uttermost, to save forever. The Greek word here means completely. Furthermore, the Greek word translated to save is salvation in the absolute and fullest sense. This particular arrangement of perpetuity and continuous action offers us a breathtaking picture of how God saves us. We are saved in a moment of time. And that the perpetual nature of that salvation is a result of the perpetual work of saving that is mediated by Christ from his permanent office. Third, take note of the word intercession here. As the eternal Son of God, Jesus sits enthroned on the right hand of the Father. He is able to save his people because he always lives to make intercession for them. Consider Jesus' high priestly prayer that's found in John chapter 17, saying, I pray that they may all be one, just as you, Father, are in me, and I in you. 
that they may also be in us. That they also may be in us. That's from John chapter 17, verse 21. Jesus is not merely asking his Father to bless us. Jesus is asking God to draw us close to the Father that we might become one. Now, however mysterious this may sound, it speaks of a supernatural intimacy. Thus far, the author has shown us Jesus is better high priest because of his life, a better hope, God's oath, and because of his permanence, and also his perpetual petition. This is the foundation of the guarantee of our salvation. Now, in the final block of verses here, in verses 26 to 28, the author presents his final argument for the supremacy of the priesthood of Jesus. The phrase, it was indeed fitting, points to Christ's unique and perfect aptitude for his saving work. It means that in Christ, God completely addressed our dire predicament as sinners. Earlier in the letter to the Hebrews, the author showed us the importance of Jesus identifying with us through temptation. In our passage today, the author shows us the significance of identifying with divine perfection. In these verses, the author gives five words to help us appreciate the divinity of Jesus. First, he is holy, which points to his character set apart for God and utterly without sin. Innocent means that he is utterly void of any evil or guilt, both in activity and in motivation. Unstained means to be free from any moral or spiritual blemish. This refers to Jesus's moral purity, which is in contrast to the outward and the ritual purity of the Levitical priests. The Levitical priests were always very careful not to become ritually unpure or defiled. The Levitical priests did what they could, but no matter what Jesus did, no matter how much Jesus hung out with those who were defiled, he remained completely pure and undefiled. Separated from sinners does not mean that Jesus kept away from sinners. It, the opposite was true. Jesus intentionally engaged with sinners, though friendship with sinners would have placed him in close contact. Okay? Uh, he remained holy, innocent, and undefiled. No Levitical priest could do what Jesus has done and remain pure. But Jesus could touch the dead. He could heal the leper. He, and whenever he touched, instead of becoming defiled, his purity and life-giving power was imparted to them. And finally, exalted above the heavens, refers to the truth of Christ's atoning sacrifice. This phrase emphasizes the supreme perfection of the ever-living high priest at work in his heavenly sanctuary. For this reason, we have confidence that the power of his atoning work is all-sufficient today, tomorrow, and to the end of the age. The author remarks in verse 27 that Jesus has no need, like those Levitical high priests, to offer sacrifice daily, first for his own sins and then for those of the people, since he did this once for all 
when he offered himself. The Levitical priests offered sacrifices to God for their own sins before they could represent other sinners. But Jesus didn't need a sacrifice because he was without sin. Instead, he offered himself as the all-sufficient sacrifice presented once for all. The chapter closes with a summary in verse 28. For the law appoints men in their weakness as high priests, but the word of the oath, which came after the law, appoints a son who has been made perfect forever. The supremacy of Jesus, the Son of God, and his priesthood as our high priest guarantees our salvation. Now, as I begin to wrap up, it's natural that as we get older and as we begin to ponder what comes next, we're going to be worried. When our situation and circumstances of life are uncertain, we, we often pray something like this. We say, Jesus, I want to make it strong to the end. Jesus, I've known couples who have let your light dim in their hearts. Jesus, I've known others who have turned to false pleasures and desires of the world. Or Jesus, save me from falling away. I don't want to fail before I reach the finish line. Are some of these your prayers? If yes, then let the author give you a word of encouragement. Jesus can save you to the uttermost. He is faithful to you to the end. Remember that Jesus is the one who's offering the sacrifice. Ponder that perfect sacrifice of himself. And therefore, Jesus is greater than any high priest appointed by the law. We have come to him who is our great high priest. Remember that Jesus is praying for his people. From his permanent office, he is constantly praying for you. If you belong to Jesus, then you know for certain that he's praying for you. Will you let Jesus be your high priest? Draw near to him. Draw near to God through Jesus so that you can have a better hope. Draw near to God through Jesus, through whose priesthood never changes. Draw near to God through Jesus so you, so that because he guarantees the covenant on your behalf. Draw near to God through Jesus because he is able to save you to the uttermost. And draw near to God through Jesus because he ever lives to pray for you. How must I respond to my high priest? Just as Melchizedek stood over Abraham, Jesus, will you stand over me? Will you be priest over me? Will you receive the tithes that I offer to you? Will you fill my heart with joy in fellowship this Advent season? Will you remind me of the cross every time we break the bread and take your cup? And will you bless me in the name of the one and true living God? Doesn't that give you more hope? It certainly does for me. Let us pray. Thank you, God, for sending your Son to live and walk alongside your creation and creatures, to bring comfort and peace on earth and new. And now 
You intercede on our behalf. May we trust in you always, for it is in the name of Jesus Christ, our high priest, we pray. Amen.